millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Market Watch podcast by Amplify Live, where you can access the latest market insights with me, Anthony Chung, the head of market analysis, and joined by our head of trading, Piers Curran, getting you up to speed on what mattered in markets this week. Okay, very good morning. It is Friday, 26th of March, and welcome to the latest episode of the Market Watch from Amplify Live. And I'm joined as ever by our head of trading, Piers Curran. How's it going, Piers? It's going very well, Anthony. Thank you very much. And uh, before we get stuck into it, happy birthday. So uh, yeah, congratulations on making it another year. So how, how many years is that that you've uh, made it through now? Well, considering... The fact that you and I have known each other a long time, Piers, you should know the answer yeah. to that question. I'm pretty disappointed. I've got a ballpark figure, but I'm not... Okay. Go on. Well, look, let me, um, just, to, just to keep things interesting then, let me, let me test your, your general knowledge. Oof. I'm going to give you two facts um, mm. related to the year I was born. Right. Okay. <laughs> let, so, hang on. Before you tell me the facts, I bet you any money... One of them's basketball related. <laughs> uh, well, look, I can add a fact to that then. Michael <laughs> Jordan was drafted to the NBA the year after I was born. That's so you can have, says so three facts. So there's one fact. Okay. Michael Jackson's thriller goes to number one. The year you were born? Yep. Wow, you were then than I thought. The Return of the Jedi oh. is released. And is the highest grossing film of that year. What year is that? So The Return of the Jedi, that was the second, is that the second or the third? That's the third. So I know, I know, well, that's, we got a little a bit of a link here because the first Star Wars movie was the year I was born. Um, so the third, so I know that's all right. So that, I was born in 77. So I'm guessing it may be five years. I'm maybe going to give you an 82. What was your other thing about Thriller? Oh, was that in 82? I'm going, to, I'm going to go 1982. So that puts you at, oh, no, I'm going to go 83, sorry. 
83. So I'm going to slight last minute change that puts you at what? 30. What does that make it? 38. 38 today. And that's why you're the head of trading, please. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Deductive reasoning at its finest, a showcase of how to tackle an interview question. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, happy birthday to you. <clears throat> Thank you very much. And um, if anyone would like to, um, you know, gift me a, a birthday present, then don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast channel and and leave us a review and a comment. We'd uh, we'd both hugely appreciate that. But look, let's get let's get down to business, Pierce. And one of the things we were going to focus on is something that's caught quite a lot of the the headline media. Um, this week, and that is that there's a very large ship stuck in a very small canal somewhere. <laughs> yes. Um, and I thought we could, I really wanted to hone in on that as a subject for this particular episode. Uh, and the reason for that is firstly, you know, has this impact, has this had an impact on, on markets that, that people are trading day to day? And obviously that's the area which we're, we're dealing a lot with, um, with our community. Uh, had, I've been inundated with questions, and um, it's so interesting because you know when you read something like mainstream media or even financial press, Bloomberg, Reuters, um, you know, it's a very old contact I had in industry. I remember when I worked in my previous job, and he used to work at one of these places, and he said to me, "When you don't know actually what's moving the market, your editor will literally say to you." find something to explain why the price of this asset is going up or down. Um, and I just thought that was very telling of what's happened here because I actually think that as far as WTI crude is concerned, um, you know, some of these press agencies were getting very excited about this Suez Canal blockage. But actually, I, I think that's the much smaller hanging fruit to actually what's moving oil prices. Uh, day to day. But what do you what do you kind of think of that? Yeah, absolutely. I think if you're not involved in markets like day in day out, then uh, and really if you're in that situation where you're kind of just catching up and whatever, grabbing the FT and just having a quick read or even just flashing through the headlines, then yeah, it's like oh, crude crude price is spiking because you know major supply kind of bottleneck in the Suez Canal, um, and that was on kind of you know Wednesday. But actually. It's it, the reason for the price movement. Well, firstly, prices of oil have generally been trending lower. Um, well, for the last few weeks, really for March. But um, you know, there was more more to do with OPEC-related comments um, as to why oil, the timing of an oil market uh, price spike, kind of coincided with that Suez Canal situation. But actually under the radar for those that have been in the markets day in, day out. And actually, it was more an OPEC-related um, news story. What was that story? Yeah, so there's, there's, there's sources that have been indicating that, obviously, one of the things that we saw last time out from OPEC+, Plus, which we discussed in previous episodes, is the surprise of OPEC+, Plus to roll over the supply pact. Um, and what sources are suggesting that is that given the renewed uptick that we're seeing COVID cases on a global level, predominantly mainland Europe and obviously in the US now as well, and what we're anticipating in the UK, that that's going to have demand implications. Uh, subsequently, we've seen lockdowns extended pretty much in most major European nations for the time being. Uh, and so therefore, they're going to just 
continue as they are. So that's definitely going to support price. And as you rightly said, I mean, I think Brent, before the rally that came midweek, had seen that its biggest continuous fall since October of last year. So I think just context and perspective is always very important when you're trying to disseminate news. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, not this isn't to say that this Suez Canal thing right. can't become really important for oil prices. I mean, it's obviously not just oil that's um, shipped through there either. But mm. I guess, you know, really the big question mark is how long is this thing going to get stuck for? And, and, and for now, it's days, right? And days is fine. But if days turn into weeks, well, then all right, we've got a, a proper situation here. So let's focus a bit on that. I mean, how, how long is, is it going to take to get this thing out? That's a, a quick question up for debate at, at this point. Um, they, the, the, the greatest detail we have at, right now is there's been tugboats. They've tried drenching, lightening the load, all of these types of things. Um, some analysts believe actually the best chance of freeing this container ship um, might not come until we have a, uh, a degree of tidal cycle. And actually, some of that is happening this weekend. Um, spring tide on Sunday and Monday is going to add an extra, it sounds very small, but 18 inches. Um, and right. perhaps then that helps. I mean, context, the ship in itself, the one that's stuck. So this, this, this Japanese company, it's operated by a Taiwanese transport firm called Evergreen Marine. Uh, but to give you some context, the ship in itself is the length of four football pitches. <laughs> and that is double the size of the width of the most narrowest part of the canal. Right. So if you think about it, you've got this ginormous ship trying to get through this very tight space. And you might think, well, why is such a big, why is the canal so narrow? But then you know, take, a, take a history lesson. The, 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 the canal was built in 1859. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure cargo ships back then weren't the size of four football pitches. Um, there is, in fact, actually a second canal. There's a, there's a new canal. There are actually two that run parallel to one another. The problem is, is that where this particular ship is stuck is right basically at the entrance of where the Red Sea goes into the canal. And there's, there's almost like this, uh, to visualize it, it's like a reservoir that then splits into the two separate canals, which could have acted as an alternate route. Yeah. The problem is the issue is stuck right at the, at the base on the before southern the end split. before the split. Um, and that's what's causing a lot of issues. So some of the timings that they've said, um, the actual company that's been brought in to try and deal with this, uh, the salvage company, they've said this morning, according to sources, it's going to take a week. Um, but that's yeah. more definitive than they said 24 hours ago, which was days to weeks. They're now saying yeah. a week is what they're saying. I think because where, where it has got stuck, it is quite a remote um, location. I think it's been hard to get, you know, proper heavy duty equipment um, mm. down there. And, and just compounded by the fact that this ship is so massive that mm. it's just very difficult even to kind of, un, you know, the idea of we'll just take the containers off then, you know, even that it's like, well, that's a logistical nightmare. Um, so I think a lot of people, are, I, th I think at the moment, well, maybe these salvage companies, of course, they're experts and they know what they're talking about. So fine, a week. Um, I, I just go back a couple of days and it's like people are, it was almost like hope that the shift in tides 
which is happening Sunday, Monday, isn't it? People were just kind of hoping, you know, it's going to be fine. When that tide shift happens, then that'll be enough and, and we'll, we'll get on our way. It's just, I think, so actually when we get through Monday, perhaps into Tuesday, I think that's quite a critical moment here in terms of trying to measure how long this crisis, if you want to call it that, it's not really a crisis yet, but could be one. This potential crisis, I think Tuesday, if that tidal shift hasn't budged anything, then, all right, I think we might start getting some, you know, further reaction and, and further movement. I mean, there is, a, like, like from a crude oil point of view, um, well, talk about that. How important is this sort of Suez Canal? How much oil gets shipped through that? Yeah, I mean, it is, it's incredibly important in that respect. So the Suez Canal, uh, it connects the Red Sea with the Mediterranean Sea. And, it, and it's known as what we call a choke point. And there's several of these globally, but this is probably, uh, I would say, the second most important choke point. We'll talk <laughs> yeah, about the first one in a bit. Um, to give you some idea here, some 12% of global trade and about 9% of total seaborne traded petroleum, including crude oil and refined petroleum products, goes basically through the Suez Canal and also the Sumed pipeline, uh, which yeah. we can talk about. But for the canal in itself, you talked about Tuesday. So when we tried to kind of try to forecast the potential impacts, there's, there's almost 19,000 ships that have passed through the canal as of 2020 as a year. So you know, if you extrapolate that, you're looking at about 50 odd ships per day, per day. that are yeah. using the canal uh, as context. Um, and and the, the major exports here, the, all the big players, uh, the biggest actually, in fact, which opens up the geopolitical can of worms is that you've got the Russians and the Iraqis using it a lot, as well as the Saudis uh, as well. And then obviously there's a lot of US military presence in these areas, uh, all of these major, major strategic uh, choke points. Uh, so yeah, it's, 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 it's very important on a, on a, uh, choke point perspective. Yeah, and I think like historically, um, people might assume that right, the Suez Canal is incredibly important for oil coming from the Persian Gulf. Okay, so coming from those producers, the Saudis and the Irans and the Kuwaitis, and kind of getting shipped around and up through the Suez Canal and, and supplying Europe, and and that's kind of historically been. So that's if you think about it, that's northbound traffic. Okay, but actually, what's happened in the last few years, for kind of two reasons, is actually the 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 traffic through this canal. It's it used to be heavily northbound, but actually, it's kind of switched, and, and it's the southbound traffic that has, has actually been increasing at a much rap more rapid rate. And that's a function of how the global economic system has been evolving, and also how I, I think also about kind of fuel efficiency you know, in developed economies. So, and the US in terms of producing more of their own oil. Okay, so that's reduced the northbound traffic. But then as you've got China and India as economic powerhouses growing, neither of which produce much of their own oil, then actually you're now seeing a lot of that southbound traffic is Russian oil coming down through the Suez to kind of then flick ground up to, to, to um, China and India. So it, it's, I was surprised just reading up on that, just how how important that's become as a southbound um, mm. sort of supply route. Yeah, and then one of the other things that people have 
uh, are kind of asking the question of is so well what's the what's the immediate solution to this this issue for the transportation of goods and there's kind of two two elements to this we, we briefly touched on the the sumed pipeline yeah. which is a pipeline that's about 200 miles long uh, northbound through egypt from the red sea to the mediterranean so it's just another way to circumvent the, the um, canal but with the same you know, destination in that sense but as you say even then over the last few years shifting oil trade patterns the widening of the Suez with the new Suez parallel to the old has meant that the pipeline is actually been diminishing in terms of its usage at this point yeah. um, then there's the other alternate maritime route which is probably the more obvious which is <laughs> Kind of like being on a holiday and you get diverted with your 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 airline, uh, but you're just yeah. going to have to take a a slightly longer trip. Yeah. Um, so basically, you'd have to slightly. circumvent yeah. the African continent. Now, how long it's does that take? How long does that take? It's a, it's a, it's roughly 15 days um, to go. Then instead of just going through the canal, to then go around the entire. Um, African continent, the Cape of Good Hope, they call it as the actual kind of transport route, which is the tip of South Africa. But you're talking about 6,000 mile journey. Um, yeah. And the cost implication of that on fuel, fuel alone, because yeah. let's not forget that you know, if there's a, a nominal value of the, the crude oil that these ones are carrying, there's security implications, there's lots of other factors to consider with the movement of, of these goods. Um, the fuel alone is three hundred thousand dollars to pay for extra. that. That extra for that yeah. trip um, alone. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that's it, right? And so, obviously, they're about to make. I think there's been a lot of ships parking up and just going, "Look, this won't take long. Mm. We're going to wait." You know, and I think what's going to happen is as we go into next week, it's it's like, right, we've got to do either this tidal thing and the and the salvages can come along and shift this thing and fine great, it was the right decision to wait and, and let's get on with things. Or it's stuck. And then I think you're going to get these, these ships starting to make that key decision, right, let's go around Africa instead. And I think, you know, how is this all going to play out in markets? How is it going to impact us, you know, consumers? And I think, obviously, this is going to be a supply issue. And particularly thinking about Europe, it's like one, it's just one thing after another here, because Europe, it's like from a supply issue, we've, we've had COVID, which has had a major impact on um, supply. We then had Brexit, which has then added another spanner to the works. What, what, what also has happened, maybe gone under the radar for a lot of you, is that freight costs have like quadrupled. Uh, nothing to do with the Suez Canal. This happened already this year, like in January and into February, freight costs quadrupled. That was more of a function of the fact that during the COVID crisis last year, a lot of empty containers got left in Europe. They're not in China where they need to be filled up with stuff and, and ships. So the freight costs are quadrupled. And now if this Suez Canal thing turns into a major problem um, for some of these European businesses, it's just going to be a, another nightmare. And I think it's going to feed through to the consumer. And we've, we're already worried about inflation, right? So what happens if the cost of supply increases? Well, it tends to get fed through to the, to the consumer, right? So this is yet another inflationary pressure 
that might come all right at the same time as all of these other inflation pressures that we've been talking about. So as we go through the spring, it could be that this fuels that uh, kind of inflation concern even more. Mm, no, that's a super interesting kind of perspective on it. And, you know, to, to add as well from a lot of the questions that I was receiving, uh, because we kind of opened this conversation about saying how in the immediate price, it hasn't been too impactful, but, you know, as, as global macro kind of traders, uh, I guess, is what, what we are at Amplify Trading, uh, I, dis- I think this type of discussion that we've just had here, and, you know, we are just scratching the surface of what you'd need to know if you are like dealing as a, as a major petroleum company or a, a freight company, for example, the granular level of detail they would go into. The important thing for a trader investor, I think, is that you don't need to go that far. But what you what you can do, and this is why people always find it very challenging to trade the news, so to speak, yeah. is that you need a you need to know a little bit about a lot, yeah. and you can't book learn that because it's never ending. But what you can do, and what I encourage people to do, is use an episode like this. You know, understand what we've discussed here about the Suez. Now you know something about the Suez you didn't know before, right? And those facts about how many ships go through it, how wide it is, um, you know, the ways to circumvent it, all these types of questions are now answered and they will remain with you forever. And that is what you need to build as a block, a foundation of knowledge that you accumulate with time. And that's why probably in my experience, the best um, traders who are able to be agile enough to react to news are typically those who've been in market a longer time. Yeah. Um, on, on, I'm talking purely on a fun, macro fundamental basis. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to kind of bookend that part of the conversation with that. But let's have a look at um, the week ahead. Yeah, We've obviously got a, a holiday shortened week. It's Easter. And so global markets will be closed on, on Friday and then for some areas like the UK uh, on Monday as well. Um, but it's also quarter end. So before I, I kind of comment on the data peers, quarter yeah. end, anything there that, that you're looking yeah. for? Well, I think what happens quarter end, we're a couple of things to talk about very briefly. One is um, thinking about asset managers. So what they tend to do is what's called rebalance their portfolios as you're going into quarter end. That's just to kind of bring back their, what we call their asset allocation weightings back into line with their strategy that they've agreed with their clients. These weightings and these percentages. So like for a super simple example, you might have 60% equities in your portfolio. Okay, that's your plan, that's your strategy. But if what happens if equities go up strongly? Well, then proportionally, the amount of equities you have in your portfolio goes up. Right. And it's not 60% anymore. It's 61%. It's 62%. It's 63%, whatever. Right. But when you get to the end of the quarter, let's say it's 65%. Well, great. You've been invested in an asset that's gone up in value. Perfect. But now you need to bring your weightings back into line with the strategy that you've agreed with the client, which means you've got to sell equities to get your weighting back down to 60%. So often, what we see at the end of a quarter, if there's been a big move in, in any assets, which clearly they have, then you'll get a lot of rebalancing, which brings a lot of volume to the market, which can have a lot of impact on price. The second thing to talk about is um, we have this thing called quadruple witching, 
which is where it's not only quarter end, but you get expiry dates for derivative contracts like futures and options and so on. And this just drives another spike in volume. So just the, the amount of trading activity happens. Uh, sorry, the amount of trading activity steeply increases. And this just increases the amount of noise, the kind of price action, we call it. So I think going into 31st of March, yeah, it's going to be a particularly interesting quarter end and something that people should be mindful of. And, and, and just given the, the date then, the 31st is Wednesday, you've got Easter. So are you looking for this, this potentially to be have implications pretty much right from the off from the beginning of the week? Yeah, definitely. I think it will shape the week absolutely people will yeah. be taking time off over easter so you know they're going to be getting on with it right from monday i'd say okay well just to throw a little bit of uh, spice in the mix you've also got a fairly busy data slate and it is uh, well somewhat condensed but somewhat not because the bureau of labor statistics have said that payrolls is coming out on good friday so no rest for the weekend it is coming out markets will be closed so not a great deal you'll be able to do with that information. But nonetheless, then with payrolls on a Friday, it means we get the various different employment indicators um, coming up in the week. So Wednesday gets ADP, you've got the ISM figures coming out, got your regular, regular jobless claims. There's also things like Chicago PMI coming out, Chinese PMIs, Eurozone inflation, pending home sales. So it's, again, it's always interesting when there's quite a consolidated week because it yeah. almost adds to the activity intraday if you're a participant in the short term. Look, make no, it's a really big week. There's so much happening. And then, of course, we'll see what goes on in the Suez. And as mm. I said, I think post-Tuesday, it could get interesting if that ship's still stuck. Also, I'm looking at stuff like the Deliveroo IPO that's happening on Wednesday. And I think we'll talk a bit more about this next week in next week's podcast. Both just added that IPO go because there's some concern around demand, but also we'll talk about um, junk bonds. Um, we'll talk about you know, you know the US junk market and just how much money is being borrowed and you know what, is, what are the implications of that further down the line. Cool. So we'll end it there. Um, I hope you enjoyed this latest episode. As I said at the beginning, we'd hugely appreciate it if you could follow us, if it's on Spotify, on Apple, if you could rate and leave a review, that would be amazing. Um, and yeah, episode nine done and enjoy your weekend Piers. enjoy your birthday weekend cool thanks very much take care everyone catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.